0: Last this is the Sam Harris Reading List. There are a few topics that necessarily apply to literally everyone, but this is one of them. The End of Illness is written by David B. Agus, Agus, Agus. Not sure. And published October 2012, he gives some medical admonitions about how everybody should consult with their doctor before acting upon the stuff that he says in the book, which is good. I'm also, no, No, he is a doctor. I'm not a doctor. He's an oncologist. I'm not a doctor, uh, so I'm not giving any medical advice, whatever I say related to this episode. The only thing I know about medicine, I learned from Dr. House, and it's that it's never lupus. Unless it is, so that's the only thing that I know. The content of the book is about a whole bunch of different things. The big premise is that medicine needs to be more personalized, and it can be, as we kind of develop more techniques. And that cancer is a particularly special kind of malady that you have to deal with in particular ways. So why are we losing the war on cancer? And he asked the question of whether the way that we're looking at cancer is really impeding our ability to treat it. And that's a question they had to ask before when they were trying to figure out how to treat it. And then like I said, he goes into kind of personalized medicine. talks about how a glass of wine at night might be good for me, but it might not be good for somebody else. There's also a questionnaire to fill out that you can use before you see your doctor to get you on the track of knowing what kind of information is going to be most helpful helpful. And I linked the questionnaire here, so you can have a look at that if you just want to have some things to think about that might be important when it comes to your medical treatment. What is health? So, that's a big, broad question and the title of one of the chapters. It's important to understand that DNA covers probabilities, not destinies. One of the big issues when they were initially trying to treat cancer was that the germ theory of disease caused a bunch of problems, because they had this idea of attacking a foreign invader. And so this was something that it was like the modus operandi of how you think about dealing with maladies And so it made it more difficult because cancer isn't an intruder like other things that are the intruder if, if you have a bacteria or something You just need to understand the bacteria to be able to get rid of it for the most part when it comes to cancer You really need to know about the host You really need to know as much as you can because it's it's really the the body itself So thinking about it in that way drove people away from the good answers. Cancer is not new. There are ancient papyri describing things that sound like cancer in 7th century BC. Around 1900 to 1600 BC, there's physical evidence of cancer in a woman. We get some book recommendations. The Emperor of All Maladies specifically about cancer. I think Sam Harris had the author of that on his program and discussed it, and it might be on the list that we'll run into at some point, but it's specifically about why cancer is so special. Cancer isn't so much what you have as it is what your body does, so that's why it's it's really unique. And here's another big idea that comes out of this book is proteomics. So it's looking more at proteins rather than DNA, and this is something that could be a breakthrough, and this was as of 2012 that the author is saying that this could be a major breakthrough when it comes to treating a lot of things like cancer. There are misconceptions about cholesterol, and inflammation is the real issue. Inflammation is a big deal, and you could reduce your cholesterol, but you might not also reduce inflammation with that. So, inflammation is really important, even when it comes to health of much of your body. So if you look at a lot of these factors, you can predict a heart attack eight years in advance, I believe he said at one point, which I'm I'm not sure I feel about that. <laughs> um, go into a doctor and the doctor's like, oh, you're going to have a heart attack in eight years. Like, what are you supposed to do about that? It's like, you just put it on the calendar. I don't know what that is supposed to do for you, but it's advancement, right? It could be important. It's just not something I'd really want to know. I guess then you would take prophylactic measures to, so you didn't have the heart, but then would just push it out more and they'd tell you, oh, now you have 10 years until, I don't know, I don't know. So defining your personal metric, big deal, big question. It's making your medical treatment more tailored to who you are specifically and your specific medical needs. And there are things like devices, even at the time, to drive personal health. And a lot of things that were mentioned, like websites where you can upload medical data. But today, of course, we have Apple Watches. And I just started listening, because of this book, I've started listening to my Apple Watch when it told me to stand. So I do that on a regular basis now. The decision-making when it comes to your health should be more shared. It's not that the doctor has all power by fiat, gets to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. You should be able to make a collective, informed choice with your input and your doctor's input. And there are apps. He was already talking about apps. This is only a few years after the iPhone came out, so that's good. And like I said, uploading medical info. Be your own doctor first. Get copies of your records and keep copies of your records. And consider genetic testing. I'm sure that's widespread nowadays. So you can see where you have an increased risk of things like Alzheimer's and cardiovascular disease. Big deals. Nature versus nurture debate. That comes up in the book... And there's this whole breakdown of diseases that the book provides. that says, you know, this disease is 55 percent nature and 45 percent nurture. It goes like that, and it breaks down a whole bunch of them. I have no idea how they came to that determination, but <laughs> if it's that easy, I mean, that's great. Some of them were like 80 percent nature and 20 percent nurture, and some were the other way around. So I guess you would know, okay, which ones do I have to put more work into trying to prevent, or which ones just mean I'm screwed? <laughs> so DNA, it's about about probabilities. It's not really about your destiny, of course. Philosophically, I would challenge that for sure, and we don't need to get into that. This is this book is about what the book's about, so we can we can leave it. But one way I I tend to think about it is that if you have somebody who has the genes to be an alcoholic say there's just an alcoholic gene and they never encounter alcohol it doesn't matter how many genes they've got they're not going to be an alcoholic <laughs> you know so there's got to be there's got to be some nurture in there but you have to break I mean philosophically you really have to be careful how you push these things around anyway so did you know that there's less than a factor of two of our amount of DNA relative to fruit flies we don't have that much more DNA than fruit flies. That's embarrassing. And DNA, it's better to think of DNA rather than a blueprint. It's more like a list of parts. Or another way that was put in the book is that it's like ingredients in a restaurant. When you're sick, you still have the same DNA, although you're acting very differently and things are working very differently. But you still have the same DNA. But he said that you need to taste the food. So you have the ingredients that is the DNA, but it's the taste of the food that's really what you're looking for. And that's what the proteins do. So that's after they've been, you know, mixed up, put together, you season them and all that stuff. And then you get to taste it. That's what the protein is. Darwin almost cracked genetics, but he was more interested in what he was working on. And then we get Mendel, who comes along in 1866. Darwin and Mendel didn't know each other, but Mendel's genetic research, of course, was very important. It wasn't popularized until the turn of the 19th century and didn't become a super big deal until Watson and Crick explained the whole double helix concept. And then it was a cool image, so then (laughs) then it was popularized and people thought about it. Did you know that every three months you have new bones? I definitely did not know that. I thought, I think I knew that every seven years you have like new skin or something like that. But every three years you have new bones. So these are not the bones that I had three years ago. And those were not the bones that I had three years before that. I'm a completely different person. I've just been replaced. It's insane nonsense. And there's this idea of being able to diagnose stuff without having to do invasive surgeries, you know, like a blood test and looking at proteins instead of having to do a biopsy of a mass or something like that to be able to determine whether somebody has particular kinds of cancer. It would lower medical costs and it would be more, it could be more personalized treatment. And so those are kind of big developments in that realm. And there's this idea about certain drugs, certain drugs, if they only do their job in like 20% of cases for 20% of people, then usually they'd be tossed out because they can't be widely applicable. But if you're talking more in terms of personalized medicine, then those things could be used for those 20% of people and you can find something else for all the rest of them. So that would be a more efficient way to be able to use that as well as tailoring medications and treatments to metabolism. So you have less trial and error. There's this whole discussion, I don't know if I actually passed that part, but there's this whole discussion about how hard it is to try to understand how these things affect bodies by trying to apply it to, like, mice or other kinds of organisms when you're trying to figure out what it does to a human. Then there's a whole section about vitamins and multivitamins and antioxidants and vitamin D and C and how those behave and how getting vitamin D from the sun is much better than getting it in a pill and free radicals and, and what free radicals do. And then multivitamins and antioxidants. And he is not a fan of multivitamins and antioxidants, especially multivitamins. I can't remember all this stuff about antioxidants, but multivitamins he said they either do nothing or they hurt. So... <laughs> do not do not take them. And this was the most contentious issue that I saw amongst reviewers, is that they were unhappy about his treatment of multivitamins and saying that there was counter-research or something that they, they didn't cite that I saw that said that multivitamins are great and do great things, but we'll get into when I go into the wrap-up or whatever. Okay. Suggestions. Made some suggestions like eating cold-water fish three times a week. He suggested a website, oceanwatch.org. But I don't think it exists anymore. I went to try to go to it and I couldn't find it. So, and I'm just a master of the internet. So I, I don't think it still exists. It was supposed to tell you which fish are good or something like that. Like which fish you should get and which ones you shouldn't. And suggested uh, one glass of wine per week. Pro that and a book called *Indefensive Food* supposed to be a good book. And then goes into the NFL. That's not. I mean, they are getting quite the reprieve. Wait, would they have been? No, we just they wouldn't have been going, would they? We just had the Super Bowl and then we had the pandemic and the apocalypse, and so now we're gonna have zombie football or whatever coming up in the fall. If if the world's still here, <laughs> so we'll see about that. But he talks about specifically CTE suicides and the inflammation that happens in the brain brain from the repeated impacts of the sport. So there's a throwaway line about using a fraction of your brain capacity, which is, of course, nonsense. So that irked me a little bit there's a nun study so the nuns the reason they chose nuns was because they have similar lifestyles so they're a better control group for trying to figure this stuff out and they were able to use one weird thing was that if you looked at the pros of the nuns in their applications like how they wrote then you could determine with relative relatively good accuracy whether somebody was going to have alzheimer's in later life just based on how well they wrote in their application that's good stuff The flu causes inflammation and there's this concept of inflammatory storm and inflammation is just bad. Remember that. Inflammation bad. Boo inflammation. Exercise. It helps him maintain healthy mitochondria. And he goes in the thing which I've heard a million times but didn't take seriously until I finished this book. It was smoking and sitting. How if you sit all day, then it's just like you're a smoker. I don't know. It probably doesn't increase your risk for lung cancer though, right? Maybe because you're not breathing. But it doesn't blow smoke. I don't know. Anyway, so that's why I listen to my watch now. Now every time my watch tells me to get up, I'm like, oh, no matter what I'm doing, I just stand up and start moving around. But hopefully it'll help. Hopefully it'll help. We'll see. And he said he used ice after workout, not heat because you want to reduce the inflammation. Some inflammation is good because it's It's how you get to build muscle, but you don't, you want it to happen a lower amount of time and, um, you get the benefit from it and don't have the potential dangers. You want predictable meals. You want to have meals at the same time every day. That's really important. And sleeping at the same time every day, whatever amount of hours you need. Some people need to sleep more than others. Whatever amount of hours you need, just do it at the same time every day. And they found that bedtime rules for kids, the kids with bedtime rules had a better vocabulary than kids without bedtime rules now here there's an issue about causation and i'm definitely going to bring it up because i bring it up with anybody else is that you could have i'm not sure how they did the study if they did the study and just said okay you parents you have to put bedtime rules you parents you don't and see what happens there fine but if they just studied people who on their own cognizance decided whether there's going to be bedtime rules or not then that's a different story because obviously the ones who are more inclined to have bedtime rules might have been genetically predisposed to have bedtime rules and that's what they're kids got so those two things are just correlated as opposed to there being any kind of causal thing going on there and if you have trouble keeping a routine the author suggested getting a dog because they have such a predictable routine dogs in general you know when it comes to eating and walking and all that kind of thing that it helps you get on a routine as well so it's it's positive in that way um, he says reevaluate your medications. Do it once a year to figure out whether you actually need all these medications. Technology is a big deal. A lot of changes in medical tech that you should be up on, especially sharing medical records even if it's you know most of it is like anonymous sharing so that you they can mine the data to try to figure out what's going on medically with people as opposed to trying to invade your privacy you know and this last uh, some of the last stuff let your body do it that's one piece of advice patients tend to get better just in general and brought up how placebos are such a big deal still in the medical community and how they always have been and they would make up latin names for crushed vegetables just so people would take them and feel better and then there's there's a call to action, but I can't remember the action that was called to. So that's the end of the book. There you go. My analysis. I already changed my habits. Like I said, I stand up on a regular basis. I ran out of apples. What? (laughs) I put a note. I think I was just thinking this to myself or something (laughs) because I ran out of apples yesterday (laughs) and I was thinking about how I ran out of them today and I had to order some and, um, okay. I'm not sure where I put that in. Sorry about that. Uh, So this was published eight years ago, of course. I'm not sure how much of it still applies, how much is behind. The author's an oncologist. has a big problem with multivitamins and antioxidants. Like I said, people were mad about that. I took a cursory look over a Harvard article that said that there was a negligible benefit of multivitamins or negative consequences. This is from 2019, so I don't know how much... Apparently, there aren't very many robust studies about how multivitamins help or don't help, and there could be a a very big difference between the types of multivitamins you get you know the cheap ones might be just completely empty and worthless or bad for you but there could be expensive ones or good ones that are much better for you who knows Uh, again not a doctor don't take my advice on that one Um, digitizing sharing your medical information anonymously seems like a great idea so they can get more information on how to do this stuff i mean at least (laughs) i mean google i don't think they do what they do for good (laughs) (laughs) Even though they said, don't be evil is their motto or whatever. But I think medical, the medical community would be much more likely to use that information for good rather than trying to manipulate you into getting you to buy more MRIs or something like that. Although that's totally possible. Focusing on proteins sounds like a great idea to me. I don't know anything about it, but it seems like it's closer to the problem and the problem that you have to deal with. And it's less fundamental and dangerous than it would be to like mess with DNA. So if you just try to understand the proteins might be be better. It's apparently extremely complex though, so who knows how far it's gonna get and eating at consistent times and sleeping at consistent times Yeah, I'm sure those are fantastic for everybody. So just just do that do that whole thing What's the big picture here health is a bright big bright new frontier especially with machine learning and AI But we got so caught up in whether we could we didn't ask whether we should We have a lot of people, and a lot of people are idiots, so I'm not sure that it's all that necessary. Maybe we should fix culture (laughs) before we start caring so much about saving people, but of course that might be a little too harsh... Science shouldn't slow down for anybody. It would be better to have the option. If someone you care about is suffering from one of these maladies, it's better they have the option at least. And it's worth it. At least I will suffer the consequence of having to deal with a bunch of idiots walking around looking at things. So I'll, I'll suffer that, you know. I'll be the martyr and accept that so that people can have better medical care. But that's it. That's the last coffee house. That was how do we end wellness? No, that's how do we... What is this one called? The end of illness. That's what this is. not there a movie, The Cure for Wellness or something like that? The end of illness. It's so what this called. This is Sam Harris Reading List. And this was The Last Coffee House. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you on the next one. All right, bye.